Standby, we're about to begin. Good day and welcome to the BPPN 9.5, Configuring for Advanced Thresholds and Abnormalities webinar. Today's event is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the webinar over to Cedric Rawls. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for being patient with us as we uh, were preparing here. Um, we will continue the series with the Configuring for Advanced Thresholds and Abnormalities. Uh, so we certainly appreciate your attention. This is a very um, uh, worthy topic, one that many people have asked about. So uh, we know that there will you know, certainly be questions. So the way that we're going to handle those questions, as we have been in the past, is in the Q&A window. Uh, and we'll respond to those questions as promptly as possible. We will make sure that we cover all questions before the end of the session, but we'll post them thereafter. Um, shortly after this session, uh, we will be posting the recording to our BMC Communities page. Uh, and so if you've subscribed to that page, you will get the notice that it's been posted. Uh, if you have not, feel free to go to it. Uh, we'll display the link at the end of the session, and that will allow you to receive uh, notices about the, uh, the future webinars as well. With that, uh, I will turn it over to uh, Hudson Meeks, who will deliver our content today. Thanks. Go ahead, Hudson. Thank you very much, Cedric, and thank you everybody for attending or viewing the session after it's been recorded. Um, again, today's session is about advanced configuration or, or actually configuring advanced thresholds in BPPM. As with other sessions, this is more or less considered first-level training. It's focused a lot on best practices versus how-to. Um, however, in this session, we're going to talk quite a bit about how-to as well. Um, it covers core BPM components, um, does not address each and every scenario. This, this fourth bullet here really um, is pretty, pretty important for this particular session in that um, we're not going to cover every single possible scenario. And in addition to that, these are, these are best practices, they're recommendations and so forth. There are you know, things that you could do differently in your environment. Um, in some certain scenarios and so forth. Uh, so keep that in mind as we go through this. It's not like you have to do everything that we're telling you here in exactly the way that we're, we're explaining it. Um, and that's actually very important for this topic because for this particular topic, what I'm going to call situational awareness is very, very important. And I'll explain what that is as we get into this. Prior knowledge of BBVM components and terminology is certainly um, an advantage and, and good to have before viewing the session, but if you don't have that um, experience prior to this, then that doesn't mean you should hang up and, and you know, go learn a bunch of stuff. You can get some value out of this um, by watching the session here. So our agenda is, is a pretty packed agenda for this session. I want to go over goals and intended value first. Uh, you need to understand what you're trying to accomplish through configuring thresholds, and especially the advanced thresholds, you need to understand what the goals are and what the intended value is uh, before you go off and start configuring things. Because if you don't do that, you may very likely, especially with this topic, very likely configure things inappropriately. And, and that applies from an overall goals perspective as well as you know, technically what you're trying to accomplish as well. Um, we'll get into the threshold types and terminology and under, need to understand you know, what the different types of advanced thresholds are and what our terminology is. 
Then we'll talk about abnormalities and events. Um, we'll talk about CMA, which is the, con the Central um, Monitoring Administration and Advanced Threshold Configuration within CMA. Um, we'll, we'll talk about absolute thresholds, predictive alarms, signature thresholds, what we call intelligent events, abnormality thresholds, and we'll also talk a little bit about abnormalities in PCA. PCA is short for probable cause analysis, um, and this session's not all about PCA or anything like that, but PCA is one of the things that you are configuring the advanced thresholds for. So you should have some understanding about PCA, and we're going to have a few slides on that. We'll also get into some general recommendations, and then we'll wrap up with some, some additional tips and so forth um, in the last few slides. Okay, so goals and intended value. Well, first of all, if, um, if, you, if you don't understand what your goals are, you're very likely to kick the ball into the goal for the wrong team, okay? So our, our overall goals here, and this isn't at a technical level, this is more at a, you know, an operational and business level. First, we're, one of the intended goals here is to reduce threshold management administration. And that may be a little bit confusing when you start looking at all the screens and so forth and the different things that you can do in the advanced thresholds because there's a lot of things that you could tweak and adjust there. And so that may, may sound like an oxymoron or, or a, um, you know, contradiction to what we're talking about here when you actually look at the product. But in fact, the, one of the, the key intentions with BPPM is to truly reduce the amount of administration that you have to deal with um, in managing thresholds. Um, another key one is to improve accuracy of thresholds. Um, reduce event noise. In other words, reduce events that don't really mean anything produce uh, or provide events that are, that are more intelligent. So rather than just, you know, an event that occurred because a static threshold was crossed, let's put a little bit more intelligence into um, how we generate events and so forth. That's a big part of what this is all about. Uh, generate predictive events that provide early warning is another key thing. Um, decreasing time to resolution, okay, is, is another key thing. In other words, supporting probable cause analysis and ultimately supporting um, a more efficient mechanism and a more, more efficient method around root cause analysis. And at the end of the day, the really, you know, the really big thing is that we're trying to keep applications and businesses running at optimal levels and reduce cost associated with downtime as well as hopefully reducing cost around administration and so forth as well. Okay, so in addition to this, and I don't have a slide on these next few comments, but in addition to these goals, um, it, it's really important that you understand what you're trying to accomplish at a high level here as well as what you're trying to accomplish at a technical level. So what I call situational awareness is extremely important. And a really good example would be when you're, you're going to monitor and set up thresholds on CPU utilization. At CPU utilization configuration, you know, monitoring and, and setting thresholds for it is not really a one-size-fits-all. So an example is some applications, when their CPU hits 100% and is pegged and stays there for some, you know, duration of time, then that clearly indicates that there's a problem. Other applications, it may not indicate there's a problem. So just as an example, 
in our event manager, I'll, I'll kind of pick on it here, and this is not a bug or anything, okay? It's just it, it's something to be aware of, and we've pointed that out in some previous webinars, I believe. But if you you have the ability to set up what we call win clauses in the MRL code of the event management solution, and if you create a win clause by accident, you know, some bad coding that says go update the event XYZ when event XYZ gets updated. Okay, what's that going to do? Well, that's going to create an infinite loop, and that'll drive CPU utilization to 100% for the cell, and it'll cause the cell to degrade in performance and have problems and so forth. So, you know, that's a scenario where, yes, if CPU goes to 100% and stays there for 10 minutes, you likely have some kind of a problem. However, um, the cell might be in a state where it's just processing a whole lot of events that are stacked up for some reason. Maybe an event flood or something occurred, and you know, an event storm has occurred, and it's processing a tremendous amount of events, and CPU is pegged for 10 minutes, and there's not really a problem. So situational awareness is really important um, in understanding how to set up thresholds and what you're, you know, what what you're setting up the threshold for, what parameter it's on, and what that parameter really means to the application. And although we're not going to get into it, you know, certain situations like the one that I just described may require you to do some correlation as well. You know, maybe you, you're scraping a log file and looking for specific events in a log in a log file in addition to CPU utilization and things like that. So again, it's it's really really important that you have some understanding of the application and how that application is used and what the parameters really mean to the application instead of trying to, uh, you know, facilitate things from a, just a one-size-fits-all approach. Situational awareness is extremely important there. So terminology. Well, first of all, we've got what are called absolute thresholds. An absolute threshold is the, the type of threshold that most people are very familiar with, you know, to begin with. Um, an absolute, it's basically an absolute value above or below which an event's going to get generated. It's typically referred to also as a static threshold. Um, it would include measurements that say, well, let's not uh, generate the event unless um, we've crossed the threshold n number of times, which is something that patrol does. So patrol events, your patrols, you know, events that come out of patrol, they're all absolute thresholds. However, in BPPM, an absolute threshold can also include baseline evaluation, okay? Um, so that, that's our definition of absolute thresholds. Now, when we talk about predictive alarms, most people have a pretty good understanding of what that means. We just want to make it very clear here that it's not really magic, okay? It's events that are based on statistical calculations indicating that a static threshold or an absolute threshold will be breached in the future if no corrective action is taken, okay? And there's some key things to think about regarding that definition that we'll get into more detail on in a few slides coming up, okay? So, you know, basically we're, we're predicting that we're going to reach a static or absolute threshold before we actually cross it. That's one of the key things to understand about a predictive alarm. <clears throat> um, they're automated. Um, and, and it's, it's an also an automated intelligent early warning. So that's another way to look at predictive alarms. It's an automated, more intelligent early warning versus setting up a stack of thresholds that say, well, when I cross 80% um, CPU utilization, I want a, a warning. 
when I cross uh, 90%, I want a major, and then when I hit 98%, I want um, you know a critical alarm. Rather than setting up multiple layers of thresholds like that for the same parameter, a predictive alarm can accomplish the same kind of early warning in a more intelligent manner. And they're generated based on configuration of absolute thresholds. So predictive alarms, you basically click a checkbox on the absolute threshold to, to um, define whether or not you want that, that um, alarm to be predictive or not. Signature thresholds, think of them as dynamic thresholds that use baselines as the threshold. So you're not setting a static or absolute threshold uh, with signature thresholds. Signature thresholds basically look at, quote unquote, the signature and baselines of the parameter, which fluctuate over time. And if you go outside the normal baselines, then we generate an event based on a signature threshold being set up. Provides a much more scalable approach in managing thresholds, especially in certain scenarios that we'll talk a little bit more about when we get to the details on signature thresholds. Intelligent thresholds, what do we mean by that? Well, an intelligent threshold, it's a signature or absolute threshold with baselines in general. So by leveraging the baselines, we're being more intelligent with our thresholding approach. Um, and also you should note that an intelligent threshold could actually be a combination of configuring a signature and an absolute threshold for a single parameter. They're generated when a parameter value is outside its baseline and is above its absolute threshold. Okay, in, in general, that's what an intelligent threshold is, um, or the type of event that it, that it generates. It helps to reduce unnecessary events that are caused by absolute thresholds, which are too low for the normal operating environment. And you may, when you read that, you may think, well, um, if that's true, why don't we just go and adjust the absolute threshold and make it appropriate? Well, you may not know exactly what the appropriate absolute threshold should be. You may have an idea, and you, know, you set it according to what you think is right, but then you're starting to get some noisy alarms and in, in situations where uh, maybe it's CP utilization again goes to 100% or 90% or something like that, and it's not, uh, it's not really a problem. You set the threshold at 90%. So you can add a baseline to that as well that says, well, let's not generate the event unless we go outside the baseline and we're over the um, absolute threshold. Intelligent events are generated when a signature or absolute threshold with baselines is breached. They have their own collector, a VIP collector that is, in the, in the UI. Abnormality thresholds generate abnormalities utilized in probable cause analysis rather than generating operational events. That's extremely important. We'll talk about the nuances, the differences between abnormalities and operational events when we get into some future slides here. Um, they're predefined and set out of the box on all KPIs. And that is all out-of-the-box KPIs are predefined and set for them. They operate in the exact same way that signature thresholds work, except that they generate abnormalities instead of operational events. Okay? Um, they're automatically closed when the generating condition no longer exists. Users can set custom abnormality thresholds as well, but this is generally not required because they're provided out of the box for you. Okay, um, and they also have their own collector in the UI. 
So what are some definitions that we've got around threshold types um, regarding baselines and baseline evaluations, some thing, key things to be aware of here? Um, baselines are basically the expected normal operating range of a trended parameter, okay? Um, and that would be a, a, a trended parameter that, that has baselines calculated for it. As you may remember from some of our previous best practices in the documentation, we only calculate baselines for KPIs out of the box. Um, and, and they ultimately define the normal operating range of parameters as they're trended. Um, baselines are, are defined by an upper and lower bound for each parameter. The upper and lower bounds are referred to as a high and low values for a baseline. They're calculated over time, which includes the weighted averages and things like that. I'm not going to get into all the statistical calculations that go into this because we'd get down, go in, get, go, end up going down into a rat hole on that here. Uh, but it is a statistical calculation that determines the baselines. Um, and again, they're only calculated for KPIs. There's three baseline types that we calculate. There's hourly, daily, and weekly. Okay, so for each metric that is a trended parameter and that is flagged as a KPI, the tool is going to automatically calculate the hourly, daily, and weekly baselines for you. Now, how does that dovetail into threshold? Well, the thresholding, especially with the, the advanced thresholding, it leverages and evaluates the hourly, daily, weekly, all baselines, um, and hourly and daily baseline combinations. So these are the, the five different types of baseline evaluation that you could configure for any particular advanced threshold uh, setup that you, that you instrument in the product. Again, that's hourly, daily, weekly, each one of those independently, or all baselines, or hourly and daily baselines. A few more terms to think about here and to be aware of. There's also what we call a minimum sampling window that's configurable and applies only to signature and abnormality thresholds, and it's configurable per threshold setting, and, that, and that's on a per-parameter basis. It's basically the minimum span of time for collected data points that are required in order for the signature threshold engine to initiate evaluation. And that also applies to abnormality thresholds. So remember that abnormality thresholds um, are the, the configuration for them and the way they operate is exactly like signature thresholds, except that the difference is they generate abnormalities, they do not generate operational events. Absolute deviation is all, also applies to signature and abnormality thresholds. It's ultimately the number of standard deviations from the baseline that the parameter value must be in order for a, a trigger, an event to be triggered for that particular parameter. And so these, are, these two items, minimum sampling window and absolute deviation, they're basically fine-tuning um, uh, settings that you can adjust on the signature and abnormality thresholds. And out of the box again, the abnormality thresholds are already created for you, and you really shouldn't have to go in and adjust them, although you can adjust them to some extent. Percent deviation is also used to fine-tune signature and abnormality thresholds. The percent deviation from the base—it's a percent deviation from the baseline rather than a standard number of standard deviations from the baseline um, that the parameter has to actually meet 
in order to trigger an event also. So percent deviation and absolute deviation are very similar. One's just a percent off from the baseline and the other one is an absolute deviation. Okay, so let's let's now talk about abnormalities and events. And I think there's there's been some confusion in the field um, regarding how to use abnormalities and, and what they look like and how they look like events and, and you know how you might should manage them and things like that. So in the product, you're you know you're familiar with events obviously and the concept of of just basic event management and event operations out of BPPM, the general concept is very similar to it to any other product in that we have events that are operational events and there generally should be actionable messages where you do things like generate tickets off of them, generate notifications, and, and you handle them and manage them and so forth from an operational perspective. Um, and the intelligent events that I've talked about, they all have their own collector, as I mentioned here. So you can see that view of the intelligent event collector out of the box, um, where you can go visualize the intelligent events and so forth. Um, now also notice up here we have an event collector for abnormalities. And so on the next slide, if we take a look at those guys, that's, this is what they look like. Now this looks very much like operational events, but they are not operational events. And it's extremely important that you understand that and that you don't treat them as operational events. This display is, is provided here so that you can go get an idea of what's going on with the analytics engine. You know, what, what level of, of abnormalities might it be generating and so forth. But this is really not a screen where you would go in and take actions. And you certainly wouldn't want to do things like go generate notifications and uh, tickets and so forth off of these operational events. I mean, excuse me, off of these abnormalities because they are not operational events. So op abnormalities are not operational events. Abnormalities are technically stored as events, but they're not operational events and they should not be used as operational events. Um, generally don't treat or handle abnormalities like you do events. Typically viewing lists of abnormalities is not very valuable and could be a waste of time. So when I say viewing lists of abnormalities, I'm talking about going back to that, you know, that abnormality um, collector and looking at all the abnormalities in your environment. And there's nothing wrong with you going and doing that, but, but spending a lot of time there and trying to, you know, analyze things from that perspective is not really a valuable um, use of your time, and it can be inefficient. BBPM leverages the data provided by abnormalities for very specific purposes, and it's primarily for probable cause analysis. Uh, so the abnormalities are used to speed up the root cause analysis process, leveraging PCA or probable cause analysis. The abnormalities are scored and uh, based on the likelihood of whether or not they're the cause of the, of the um, impact or the cause of a particular event that you're analyzing. And that, that scoring is based on how far outside the baselines the abnormality may be or abnormalities may be, um, how long they've been outside their baselines, and also the type of parameter that they belong to is taken into consideration. And those types of parameters are um, user transactions, is it an application-oriented parameter, is it a network-oriented parameter, a system database, and then there's also this uh, additional bucket called other for, for categorization as well. Okay, So the key point on this slide is that 
abnormalities, although they're stored technically as events in the product, from a, you know, a pure technical perspective, there's literally an event class called abnormality. Um, although they're stored like that, they should not be treated as events from an operational perspective because they are truly not operational events, and they're really intended for uh, probable cause analysis and speeding up the whole root cause analysis process. Um, data, abnormalities, and events are categorized according to the technology like I've described. You can see that on the screen here. Um, and, and the categories are also considered in the probable cause analysis and scoring and the level of scoring that a particular parameter, or excuse me, a, a particular abnormality, um, you know, may get when you run your PCA process. Okay, so now let's start talking more about thresholds and where you should go to configure thresholds and things like that. The intent of the previous slides was to give you a, you know, a good understanding of what we mean when we talk about a signature threshold, what we mean by absolute thresholds, and the fact that you could adjust um, you know, and, and consider a baseline evaluation for an absolute threshold and whatnot. And to kind of give you some context around these technical terms and technically what we're trying to accomplish with the, um, the um, advanced thresholding here. So when you first start setting thresholds, and that would be the advanced thresholds here, we recommend that you go into CMA and go into the global area first and configure your global thresholds um, first in CMA, as you see here. And the first area to think about is absolute thresholds. And those are the simpler thresholds that most folks, you know, want to go set up first. Um, now, you may have some thresholds that you've also configured in patrol. I don't, we don't consider those to be advanced thresholds, so I'm not spending a lot of time on patrol thresholds here today. Um, this, this is, you know, for the advanced thresholds. Um, in, in my case here, what I've done is I've set up a threshold on free megabytes for the Windows operating system, and I've set it to critical when it crosses um, um, less than 200, or 200 megabytes. So if we get less than 200 megabytes on a Windows operating system uh, drive here, then I want an alarm on that. And I also want to set up prediction on this. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about how this prediction works a little bit later. I'm also leveraging baselines, and I've set this to auto baseline, meaning it's going to select the baseline evaluation methodology automatically rather than just targeting hourly, daily, weekly, or um, all baselines, or the hourly and daily baselines. It's, 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 it's an auto baseline configuration. So the tool is gonna, going to look at that from an analytics perspective automatically for me. Okay, now this is great, but this doesn't really take into account situational awareness. And the reason it doesn't is that this is a global threshold, okay? That means that this setting is going to get applied to every drive on my Windows operating system. So if you think about the concept of, you know, a drive filling up here, and what I, what I really care about in this case, in this particular situation, is the drive that the operating system is installed on. As you may know, you know, the Windows operating system writes stuff to disk temporarily outside of virtual um, memory that, that's allocated on disk for virtual memory. It, it writes some, some data and so forth outside that area. 
Um, and if you get below about 200 megabytes, and, and this may be you know different in different environments and so forth, but in general, somewhere around 200 megabytes, if you start getting lower than that, you're starting to get into the danger zone. You're starting to get into the, into the area where you're about to run out of drive space and have problems on your Windows box. Okay, um, 200 megabytes might be a lot of headroom in some people's opinion, and I would agree with that. But personally, I like to have a lot of headroom and be sure. Okay, so. Really what I care about here in most environments is the C drive on the Windows machines and not necessarily D, E, F, or whatever else, okay? Uh, some of the drives on the Windows in the Windows environment may be file systems that are very close to full, and that, that's not really a problem. Um, so, again, you need to think about situational awareness, and, and this type of configuration should really be an instance-level threshold. So the way we configure instance thresholds from a, an advanced thresholding perspective and leveraging predictive and alar alarming and so forth is the server threshold policies within CMA. And so that's what these guys look like. You go in and you create a policy, specify the specific instance name, and by the way, you need to utilize regex expressions here in order to pick up the right instance name. Um, and then configure your thresholding accordingly as you see here. And you'll notice that, that the settings here are um, exactly like we saw in the global screen, although the screen looks a little bit different. The actual selectable options here and what you enter here is exactly the same thing. The only difference is we're specifying a specific instance. Okay, And to be efficient from the, for this, from an administration perspective, it makes more sense to create a global setting here and then come back for specific unique instances and set them as server threshold policies, thereby reducing the number of entries that you have to make for the environment. Okay, so now if you're familiar with the older operational consoles in BPPM, um, in the operational console, you can go to options up in the right-hand corner and choose administration and then choose intelligent event thresholds and then click the little edit URL next to intelligent event thresholds and voila, you get this uh, screen that looks like this here. Okay, And this, this basically allows you to go in and, and edit global threshold settings and as well as signature threshold settings for both absolute and signature threshold settings. Okay. And you're actually configuring the same kind of data that we've already looked at. However, this is being stored on the BPPM's application server and not in CMA. Okay. And here's what the screen looks like. And um, if you're familiar with this, you've, you may have already been in there setting things like this. I've worked with various customers who have been using this for some period of time before they moved over to CMA. The whole point of these few slides here is to drive home the recommendation that you no longer utilize this capability. Okay, go into CMA and configure your global and instance level thresholds for um, signature thresholds, abnormalities, um, absolute thresholds, and so forth, all through CMA. Manage it there instead of within the application server component of the BPPM servers. So generally, we recommend that you stay out of this. We've already mentioned this on some in some previous best practices. Just wanted to drive the point home here as well. And the reason we don't want you to do this is if you think about the architecture of CMA, 
Um, you, you may have a central server, or it could be a standalone server with CMA up here at the top. When you configure those global threshold settings in CMA and or the instance level thresholds through server thresholds in CMA, those configurations get pushed down to the BVPM application servers in the environment. And if this upper server had, and it would actually have an application server running there as well, it'll, they'll be pushed to that server as well, okay? And ultimately, they will overwrite any settings that you may have configured in those older operational screens. Okay, so that, that's our primary reason for, you know, recommending that you configure global and instance thresholds from an advanced threshold perspective in CMA, leveraging CMA, and not going into the operational console to do that, okay? There's another architecture slide here that you could review, you know, with more detail on it. I just threw that in there for reference. So with CMA and advanced threshold configuration, um, some do's and don'ts. Do use CMA to configure advanced thresholds. Use global thresholds for the entire enterprise. Remember, they're going to get applied across all BPPM servers that are registered with that particular instance of CMA. Leverage uh, the server threshold policies for instance level uh, settings that will ultimately override any global threshold settings you've created. Do not configure in the operational UI. Now, there are some very, you know, kind of, I would consider corner cases or odd cases uh, where some people might try to do that. And, and here's, here's why. Here's, here's kind of the use case. Suppose you have, you know, uh, let's say 10 BPPM child servers and then one top server, um, central server for BPPM that has CMA in it. And you set global threshold settings up in the top CMA instance, and they get pushed out to all the lower-tier BPPM servers. But maybe there's this one BPPM server in the environment, one child BPPM server, that you would like to set some, you know, make some changes in it that are global to it only, okay? Uh, technically, you could do that, but if you, can, if you end up doing that, you need to consider the consequences. The consequences are that CMA settings are going to overwrite any settings um, that you that you configure in the in the BVM application server, and they get overwritten on an instance by instance basis. It's not like CMA, you know, goes and republishes it, its data on a, all of its data on a periodic basis to all the BVPM servers. Instead, what happens when you go to change a particular threshold setting in CMA? That setting is what gets pushed down to the BVPM servers. Okay. So if you were to do this, and again, we recommend not doing it, but if you were to do it, you would have to document any and all settings that you create in the operational UI, and then you'd have to correct for settings that might get pushed from CMA. So there's a lot of kind of outside the product manual management of keeping track of things and so forth if you were to try to do that. And ultimately, you just end up creating a lot of chaos for yourself and a lot of excess work. So if you have that use case scenario that I've described, it would be much better to install CMA on the lower tier BVPM servers and then use export import to move what's out of CMA down to the lower tier BVPM servers and then make your adjustments in the local CMA instances, okay? And it's a, lot, it's a little more work, but at least it's a controlled process and you're keeping track you know, within the product of your your nuances and, and special settings in this one lower tier BPPM server, rather than allowing 
just CMA at the top to, in, you know, accidentally overwrite things at some point in time and having to manually track things outside the process and outside the product as well. Okay, so um, let's talk now more in detail about absolute thresholds. To review what an absolute threshold is, again, an absolute threshold um, is basically a value such that when set, an event is going to get generated when, when the values for the parameter cross that value. Okay, so an absolute threshold value is an, is an absolute value above or below which an event is generated. It's the same thing as a static threshold, and it can include baseline evaluation. It doesn't have to include baseline evaluation, but it can. But it can. So when should you use absolute thresholds? You know, what, what are the situations, the proper general situations for an absolute threshold? Um, you could use it when no prediction is required. Okay, that, that's an option. You can flag prediction on or off. So um, if predictive alarms are desired, you definitely have to set up an absolute threshold there because that's the only place where you're going to turn prediction on and off. Um, but you don't have to use prediction. Um, if you know, it's, it also use them when you know that a parameter reaches a certain value, there's going to be an issue. Okay, so if you know that a parameter reaches value X, that's going to be a problem. Okay, that's a, definitely a candidate for setting up an absolute threshold. Um, also, when you want a simple warning event when a parameter reaches a, spe a specific threshold. So let's suppose... Uh, let's go back to um, something like maybe a get hit ratio that, that isn't really a critical alarm, but maybe a DBA wants to know when get hit ratios on a new database that they're still tuning reaches a certain point. Okay, they want to get a notification and alarm on that. Doesn't mean that you know the world's coming to the end and the database is going to crash or something like that. They just want that information. That would be a good example of setting up a, a basic absolute threshold. Also, when you desire a duration-based threshold versus end times from patrol. So patrol, um, if you're not already familiar with it, patrol doesn't really have a true duration-based threshold. Instead, the way that's handled is, is what we call end times. And what that means is if the parameter crosses the static threshold in number of times, then generate an event. If it doesn't cross it that number of times, then don't generate the event, okay? Um, if instead you desire, you don't care how many times it crosses the threshold, what you care about is that it crosses the thre threshold and stays there for 10 minutes and you want an alarm. That's a duration-based. So if you want a true duration-based threshold, then you need to set up an absolute threshold in BPPM for the parameter. Um, examples of an absolute threshold, and this is a bit of a, a misnomer, I should actually change this in the slide here, uh, but examples are for up-down type parameters, a process died, a service stopped, an error found in a log file. Generally, we would recommend and actually strongly recommend that you set those up in patrol. You don't really need to set up an absolute threshold in BPPM. However, if it's not a patrol parameter. In other words, not, the data is not coming from patrol. Then you, and you're, you're monitoring the parameter through some other mechanism, then you would need to set up an absolute threshold within the BBPM server. Again, duration-based. An example there might be if uh, Q-Links 
um, hits 95% and stays there for 10 minutes, and you know that um, when the queue fills up that that causes a problem for the app application, for that particular application. Again, situational awareness is important here. Um, that type of duration is a good example of, of where you would want to go set up an absolute threshold. Known conditions. This, this is very important. For a certain application, CPU suddenly goes to 100% with no possible warning. Um, it, 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 you, you're not able to actually set up a prediction on this necessarily. It remains there uh, due to a bad configuration. So going back to uh, my example of the event management cell in BPPM. You know, if you if you have a bad configuration like the wind clause example that I provided, and you're trying to look for a problem like that and catch it quickly, um, that that would be a scenario for this. Okay. So when to use absolute thresholds? Generally, the key thing to understand here is that you want an absolute threshold to Set up an absolute threshold for scenarios where you know if the parameter crosses a certain value that you are definitely going to have a problem. Now, when would you not want to use an absolute threshold? If you're not sure what the threshold should be, if you really don't know what the threshold should be, then it doesn't make sense to start setting thresholds, okay? Because if you do that, you're, you're undoubtedly going to do one of two things. You're either going to get unnecessary alarms, or you might miss an event um, that you should have captured if you've only set up an absolute threshold. Another one is when it makes sense to alarm from a baseline only. So if you're only looking for abnormal data points and you only want to get an alarm when a particular parameter goes into an abnormal state, it doesn't really make sense to set an absolute threshold because what you're looking for is a change in behavior, not a change, you know, a step change where we've just crossed a value. Another example, when no alarm is needed for the parameter, but trends and abnormalities are valuable for root cause analysis. Okay, so there's quite a few KPIs that, that we provide out of the box, and you can actually, you know, uh, toggle parameters to be a KPI as well for certain ones if you wish. Um, and there may be some that you want to capture abnormalities on, that you really don't want to capture events on, that you don't want to generate any events or alarms on. So in, in those scenarios, you would not go create an absolute threshold. Uh, some examples here. When CPU utilization commonly goes to 90 or 100% and stays there for a while, causing no issues. Here again, it's, it, could be ap it should be and is application dependent. You know, some applications, there's no problem if, the, if CPU goes to 100% on the boxes that they're running on. They're just processing a lot of data. And that's normal operation from time to time. Um, you wouldn't want to set an absolute threshold for those guys. When memory utilization is usually erratic, um, now this may not apply to something like heap. Okay, um, definitely you want to be monitoring heap. And if, if heap um, reaches a certain point, in most cases you'd want to generate an alarm on that. Um, but just general memory memory utilization on a box can be quite erratic. And it doesn't really make sense to start setting static thresholds on that. You really want to monitor memory utilization from a signature um, uh, perspective. Get hit ratios in a database is another good example that I've already mentioned. So these decisions are application dependent. I'm going to keep repeating this over and over again, this concept of situational awareness and you understanding what you're configuring the thresholds for, both from a technical perspective and then an application perspective, and what that means to the application is very important. 
You need to understand the application's behavior in general. Um, and, and if you don't, one way to get there is to leverage trends and baselines to eva evaluate and fine-tune from there. So collect the data and evaluate the data and get with the application and or database teams or network teams or whoever you need to to get a better understanding of exactly what CPU utilization, for example, might mean to this specific application on this specific server. So now let's talk about predictive alarms. Now this is the old sales slide for predictive alarms. This is not a, a sales presentation at all. The intent here is to make it very clear what we, what we mean by predictive alarms. And to kind of take any you know, notion of magic or uncertainty or mystery out of what a predictive alarm really is. So the, the idea here is we have a baseline represented by the green path on the graph here that's been collected over a period of time and, and the tools automatically calculate the baseline and everything for you. And we're trending within the baseline, okay? And the solid blue line represents data that's actually been collected. And so this point right here is the point in time, it, it's the current point in time. It's where we are right now and we've gone outside the baseline, okay? And this guy has been, you can't really see it in this graph, it's not a really good depiction of what I'm trying to describe, but it shows you how the parameters have been fluctuating. It's, been, it's gone up and then it's gone back down and then went up even higher, stayed within the baseline, went back down, and then went up higher again. So it keeps going up, up, up. It's kind of taking the stair-step approach as the data is being collected. And we've now you know, gone outside our baseline. And if the parameter continues to keep doing that, represented by the dotted line here, not the dashed line, but the dotted line, um, that, that's an estimation of what the analytics engine thinks this parameter is going to keep doing if it continues to behave in, in the anomalous way that it's been behaving. If it does that, then it's going to cross this absolute static threshold, and then there really will be a problem, okay? Well, why not capture that early, okay? So that's basically what the predictive alarming does. It, it's analyzing the fluctuation of the data within the baselines, and in addition to that, whether or not it goes outside the baseline, and if it does, it will impute the expected behavior of this parameter off into the future for a couple of hours, and if it determines that that expected behavior off into the future is going to cause the parameter to cross the absolute threshold, it will generate an event immediately you know, at this point in time where it's crossed the baseline. So that's, that's the idea behind this. And one of the key things to understand about this is that you have to have some kind of known condition represented by the absolute threshold that you're looking out for. You're trying to predict, am I going to have this problem? Am I, am I going to cross the absolute uh, threshold that I've set sometime in the future? You're trying to, trying to trap that condition and, and get ahead of the game and capture that early and, and alarm and warn and so forth on that early so you can correct the problem before it actually becomes a real problem. Okay? Requirements for predictive alarms, it must be a KPI. Okay? It requires baselines, obviously, to do this. Um, you must have an absolute threshold set up for it. So the only place where you configure predictive alarming is on the absolute threshold settings, where you check or uncheck the predict button there. 
The parameter must have a known condition and corresponding threshold value that indicates a definite problem. This is the key point around predictive alarm, okay? If you don't know for sure that the parameter is going to have a problem when it crosses value X, then don't set up an absolute threshold for it and don't set up prediction for it. The, the, the product is not designed to somehow magically figure out that you know any one parameter way off in the future may or may not have a problem. It has to, you have to tell it something. It's only as smart as what you tell it to go do. And I've seen a couple of situations um, where folks, you know, actually thought the product was more was smarter than it is, um, and they they turned on prediction for a whole bunch of different parameters. They turned on predictive alarming for CPU utilization and some other parameters like percent uh, disk. Uh, utilization and things like that, um, and, and a, a pretty significant number of the parameters that they had turned on for prediction really didn't make sense for prediction, and the result was they got more alarms than they were getting in the past. So they actually were causing BPPM to do exactly the opposite of one of the key things that, that we intend for BPPM to do, and that is to reduce alarms, reduce noisy alarms, not generate more. So again, it's, it's really, really important when you're setting up predictive alarms and absolute thresholds, even if you don't turn on prediction, the key thing to remember there is that you're looking for a known condition. You're looking out for an, a known condition such that if that condition occurs, there's definitely going to be a problem, and you know what that problem is, and you're, just, you're looking out for it and trying to predict and get ahead of the game on it. So when to use predictive alarms? You need notification or other event actions for a known condition that you know will cause problems. If, in other words, if X happens, if I cross value X, bad things are going to occur. When you need an early warning, um, this first one here is a, a good example, and I've already shown it in a couple of slides previously. Uh, disk free space and bytes on the system drive for Windows. Now, that parameter happens to not be an out-of-the-box KPI, and I'll be showing you later in some slides how to configure for, um, you know, KPIs and so forth. Um, Q% is, is full. Q% full is more than 90% when you know 100% will cause issues. Application maximum response time based on an SLA, transaction response time, maximum response time based on an SLA, and there's many more, okay? Um, but the key thing again is is that you're 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 looking for looking out for known conditions that are problems. When not to use predictive alarms, you're not sure what the absolute threshold should be. You are not certain how the parameter impacts performance or availability. I'm not going to read all of these off. I think you probably get the point at this at this time, um, and you you know can go back and review this again later. But again, the key thing here about not using predictive alarms and not not using absolute thresholds as well is if you don't know you know, what the threshold should be set at, and you don't know for certain if there's going to be a problem or not at a certain value, then, then don't go off and start setting those values for the parameter. Now, what about signature thresholds? Well, again, signature thresholds, they're dynamic thresholds that use a baseline as the threshold. So that it, it's not a static approach or an absolute approach. As the baseline fluctuates over time, that ultimately is our threshold. So the threshold fluctuates over time and hence is dynamic. Um, and it's in, from a CMA perspective, the first place you want to go configure them is 
in the global area as well, then you'd have instance overrides like we talked about earlier um, from a server uh, uh, threshold policy perspective as well. So with, um, with the signature thresholds, you've got major, minor, um, and, and um, critical here. So notice that you also have the ability to look above and below the baseline on these parameters. You don't have that ability up here on the absolute threshold. The, the concept of above and below baselines um, and specifically how you're evaluating them above and below the baselines is configurable on the instance thresholds, right? Um, you could enter a threshold value here, but generally that's not necessary, okay? The intent is to, again, leverage the dynamic baselines and use them as the threshold. The minimum sampling window, back to our, you know, our discussion on terminology there, it's, it's the minimum number of, um, the, the number of minutes of data that is required in order to be evaluated for the, for the signature threshold engine to kick in there. And I won't repeat the, the um, definitions around absolute and percent deviation, but basically these three items here allow you to fine tune these settings. So if you have set up a signature threshold and you determine that it's a little bit too sensitive, you might come back in here and adjust, for example, percent deviation from five and jumping up to 10% or something like that, okay? Not, this is not something that you should have to go in and spend a lot of time doing, and, and you generally would not have to do this for most parameters. This is the kind of configuration that you would typically rarely have to go in and adjust, but it's available for you. So the point about that is that although there's a lot of configuration you can do in here, that doesn't mean you have to go in and set all of these things. Again, one of the intentions of BVPM is to reduce the amount of um, threshold administration that you have to do. Okay, and the general idea around reducing that threshold administration here with signature thresholds has to do with providing a, a more scalable approach for managing thresholds, especially in the scenarios where um, you're, you're chasing this elusive best absolute threshold value. So, for example, you, you, maybe you set um, CP utilization um, a, an alarm on it at 90, 90%. You know, if the box goes over 90%, you want an alarm on that. Well, then you set that and, and you start getting some alarms that are not actionable. You know, you get this alarm it's at 92%. Well, it turns out that's not really a problem. So you get tired of getting these, these unnecessary alarms. The, um, the Windows admin team gets tired of them and they tell you, hey, we want you to bump this up to 95%. So you bump it up to 95% and that reduces the alarms and it looks good for a while, but then one day you get a, an event that says, um, you know, CPU hit 97%, you go ahead and analyze that, and, and that's not a problem. It's not an issue. Um, and you get some more of those. And so the, the, the admin team comes back to you and says, well, let's bump this up to 98% now. So you change it to 98%, and then you start getting some alarms at 97% that really are a problem. Okay? And you keep chasing, trying to figure out what's the best setting for CP utilization on this box, it kind of drives you nuts. Sometimes the alarms are good, sometimes they're bad. They don't make sense sometimes, other times there is a problem. How do you handle that? Well, signature thresholds can help significantly with that by leveraging the baselines. Um, and then also you, you would want to do some correlation there as well and maybe look at Q-length for, uh, for the CPUs and, and things like that as well. So it provides a way to set thresholds when an absolute threshold really doesn't make sense. 
Um, requirements, the parameter must be a KPI. Users do not need to set an absolute threshold value because the baseline is, is auto-generated. Uh, there must be data collected for the minimum sampling window, and when no signature threshold is enabled by a user, the default values generate the event, similar to um, the way that the abnormality thresholds work. Okay, so when to use threshold, uh, signature thresholds? When an absolute threshold doesn't make sense at all, um, when you're experiencing false alarms due to an absolute threshold being set too low or too high, but adjustment of those values doesn't make sense either. So you can combine signature threshold settings and absolute threshold settings for a single parameter to help manage that scenario. When you're uncertain what an absolute threshold value should be, so you want an alarm on something when it goes into an abnormal state, but you, you, you're not sure what the – or when it goes into a, an abnormal state, I should say, but you're not sure what the absolute thresholds should be. When you need alarms on parameters that degrade over time, this is a key one. How do you capture memory leaks? You know, we don't want a, a, an analytical tool like this that's self-learning to learn that a memory leak is okay and never alarm on it. So signature thresholds is the way to handle parameters that degrade over time like that and capture the fact that they keep that, that the value keeps going down, 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 in this case memory free. It keeps dropping, 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 dropping in a particular heap setting or, or a heap uh, for, for a JVM somewhere. Okay? Um, that's how you capture that kind of thing. When not to use thre signature thresholds, up, down, and other Boolean parameters just don't make sense for signature thresholds. Okay, that, that, that's an absolute threshold approach. When only an absolute threshold is needed, when no alarm is needed for the parameter, but trends and abnormalities are valuable for root cause analysis. Remember that abnormalities, they look like events, okay, but they're not operational events. They're technically stored as an event, but they are not operational events. And if, and if you just want an abnormality on something, there's no need to go in and set up a signature threshold, because if you do, you're going to generate an event. Okay, so there's this concept of intelligent events that we talk about that's built into the product. And the intent of intelligent events is to reduce unnecessary alarms due to absolute threshold settings that may be set too sensitive during various time periods. Um, and they, they leverage the baselines. If you go into the product in the operational console, and this is under the admin section under, under the operational, uh, under the options area in the operational console, by default we have intelligent events enabled, okay? And that basically means that we're going to evaluate the baselines automatically out of the box for, you know, KPIs and so forth that are provided out of the box as well, in addition to looking at any absolute uh, thresholds that may be set up. And this is to help manage, um, you know, events. And, and, and this is key to the concept of event reduction with in BPPM. So in general, we'd recommend that you never uncheck this enable intelligent events checkbox. Another one that you would never want to um, change from the default settings here is you've got the ability to enable abnormality detection and baseline generation for non-KPI metrics, okay? I kept, kept telling you earlier that only KPI metrics have baselines assigned to them, okay, and, and calculated for them. In general, you never want to turn this on, especially in a medium or large environment. In a really small environment, if you've got uh, plenty of, of resources, you know, ex excess overhead and so forth, 
in the form of um, CPU, memory, and so forth, and disk as well, um, on your BBPM servers, then technically you could turn this on, but it really doesn't make sense from a, a scalability perspective, and it also doesn't make sense from a, a thresholding and monitoring and a venting perspective. And the reason is you want to be targeted on which parameters really make sense to generate baselines on and which ones make sense to generate intelligent events, meaning um, the, the signature threat, signature alarms and any, any other alarms that are based on the, the abnormalities coming from the baselines. If you turn this on, you're likely to create additional noise in the system that isn't really valuable. So the point is, it's back to that whole situational awareness topic. We need to be very targeted on what we're setting baselines on, what truly is a KPI, and, and you know what does that parameter, if it is a KPI, then okay, well, what does it really mean to the application and the particular scenario that we're monitoring? Oh, so okay. So, so basically, in general, don't enable abnormality detection in baselines for non-KPI metrics. It just really doesn't make sense to do that. Although the the capability is still built into the product to do so. All right. So now, abnormality thresholds. You know, what are they? What's a quick review of them? Again, they generate abnormalities that are used for probable cause analysis instead of just generating operational events. Okay. The intention here is not to create more and more events that you can go look at. These are data points indicating that something wasn't in a normal state, and that may or may not be a bad condition. Okay, And we leverage them for probable cause analysis, scoring them and so forth, as, as I've already talked about, and then we'll hit on again here in a moment. Um, abnormality thresholds are predefined out of the box. Uh, for all KPIs that are provided out of the box. And again, they work just like signature thresholds, except the fact that they generate abnormalities instead of operational events. Down here, you'll notice that in this particular setting with CPU utilization um, on a wind or on a Solaris box here is, um, is enabled. This is what it looks like right out of the box. It's already enabled for you. So this is how the, the product produces these abnormalities for you out of the box without you having to configure anything. Now, technically, you could come in here and you could make adjustments to things like duration. You could adjust the baseline evaluation. You could actually set a threshold here if you wished. And these other fine-tune settings, um, you could adjust as well. But you're not able to disable it. Technically, you could click here and, and if you follow the right workflow process and disable this guy. But as soon as you go to save it, it's going to re-enable it for you. Okay, So you can't remove or delete the out-of-the-box abnormality threshold. They're predefined for you for a reason, and they are in the product, you know, they're, they're very fundamental to what the product does from an abnormality detection and, and probable cause analysis perspective. And so they're things that you really would not want to turn off here. You're, you're, if you turn, try to turn, if we allowed you the ability to turn them off, you would basically be negating one of the key capabilities that the product provides. So we're preventing you from accidentally doing that. Now, you could enable the below baseline here if you wished. Okay, So you have control over enabling and disabling settings that are not out of the box for any one parameter. And then you've also got the ability to come in and adjust these for any additional parameters that you might configure as a KPI.
Benefits provides meaningful data points for probable cause analysis when no events are available and or in addition to available events for the probable cause analysis process. Provides one of the inputs for scoring data points. And the way it does that is, is the abnormalities um, the, within the system, we know how far outside the band of normal behavior they are and how long they've been outside the band of normal behavior, okay? Provides a collection of data points over time um, that logs abnormal behavior. So technically, you could go in and select um, particular event, or excuse me, particular abnormalities associated with a, an application or a server within that abnormality data collector that I showed earlier. Technically, you could go do that if you wanted to, and there may be some use case for doing that. But in general, you wouldn't spend a whole lot of time doing that. Instead, you'd be leveraging probable cause analysis. Requirements for them, the parameter must be a KPI with baselines. Again, out-of-the-box KPIs are set up for this. Um, out-of-the-box parameters um, and custom uh, KM, uh, custom parameters and custom KMs can be configured that way as well, okay? And um, you, you've got the ability to, to define that when you create a custom KM. So the metadata that we've talked about in one of our previous best practices can define that a parameter is a KPI and when it gets published up to the BBPM server, it's going to be a KPI and processed accordingly. Then you could also go in to the admin GUI, which I'm going to show you a little bit later, and flag a parameter as a KPI if you wish. Abnormality thresholds, when to use them, when not to use them. When you create a custom uh, KPI, definitely a time to go in and, and set up the abnormality thresholds for that particular uh, parameter. Um, if you go to edit out-of-the-box settings when you need further adjustments, this would be kind of a rare case, fine-tuning kind of thing. Um, and again, editing out-of-the-box abnormality thresholds would be a rare situation. I actually can't think of a, a use case where I've actually had to go and do that. When not to, to add or edit abnormality thresholds. For up, down, and or Boolean type parameters, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And if the parameter is not a KPI, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to work anyway because um, it doesn't have a baseline to trigger off of. Some additional tips on abnormality thresholds. Out-of-the-box abnormality thresholds cannot be disabled or deleted like I've mentioned already. If the abnormality threshold is suppressed, baselines will not be generated and events will not be triggered uh, for the related attributes. So if you go in and you, you um, enable an abnormality threshold on a particular setting that's not an out-of-the-box setting, in other words, not already enabled, and then you later go disable it, you're basically not going to collect any baselines for that particular um, um, parameter and so forth. Okay. Now, we've talked a lot about abnormalities, and I've talked about PCA here. And this, I put this slide in here just to remind you what the PCA process looks like and what we're doing here. So we had an event here uh, associated with a transaction response time, and we, we ran probable cause analysis on that guy. And the results are uh, provided for you here, you know, kind of automatically by the product. Um, it, it's basically taken the different servers represented by these folders here um, that, that belong to this, quote, unquote, business application that this transaction was being processed through. And it's scored all the abnormalities associated with those servers and ranked them for you here. Okay. Um, it's just to illustrate the goal that you're trying to get to regarding 
the configuration of abnormalities and um, you know which parameters are KPIs and which ones are not. And, and at the end of the day, you really don't want this data to be cluttered with any noise at all. And that's one of the reasons we don't want to turn on the um, you know ability to set up baselines on all non-KPI metrics. We want to be much more targeted and be be intelligent about what we've configured um, in the system. And, and we we try to do that as much as possible out of the box for you. Um, PCA requirements. Some things about PCA, and this is, this is not a discussion, you know, to get into a lot of detail about PCA, but just be aware of this. It requires abnormalities and events, obviously. You've got to have something that you're going to score and rank there. It also requires a service model. Now, the service model doesn't have to be an extremely in de detailed, in-depth service model. It can be a simple service model, which really consists of groups of machines that support managed applications. So each managed application has its own group of machines. And you could have, you know, nested groups and so forth. And we've, we've set up some fairly simple service models like this um, with a number of different customers. Uh, some customers are doing it on their own with a little bit of guidance from us. And they're not actually leveraging um, all of the service modeling capabilities that you can do through um, the Atrium, CMDB, and, and IMD, and all of that. Okay, there's, there are customers who are collecting data straight from ADDM and populating very simple service models over into BVM in order to facilitate probable cause analysis. So when you hear this this concept of service modeling, don't get all scared and think you've got to have this very you know complicated process around setting up service models. Um, it also leverages the categorization that I talked about, and that's pretty much provided for you out of the box. Clearly, some you know recommended data and events that need to come into the PCA process at, at a top level. Known business impacting performance parameters like application response time, transaction response time, things like that. Okay, that's really what you're running your probable cause analysis against. So, and this gets back to understanding what you're configuring for, and at a very high level, the situational awareness topic. Um, you know, you, you want to set up predictive alarming on things like application response time, and then when you get an alarm on that, right-click on it and run probable cause analysis um, to get the kind of results that you saw on the previous screen. Another key thing to bring in, if possible, is change events. And if possible is kind of a, you know, a, a lazy term there because it is possible. A, you can leverage the out-of-box integration from ITSM, BMC Remedy ITSM. We can fire change events from it over into uh, BPPM, um, Blade Logic as well, and even external events. We've got a number of customers who are collecting external change events, external meaning a change event that came in from some other system, HP Service Center or whatever it may be. Heat, okay, is another example. Um, a change event, keep in mind that a change event, it's, it's just an event. You know, it, it's just another event that has a special type associated with it um, that flags it as a change event, but that's very valuable in your PCA process, okay? So if at all possible, be bringing those kinds of events in as well. Often um, problems that occur in an environment are due to something related to a change. Maybe not the change itself, but something, you know, indirectly related to the change. And then, of course, all other events and, and performance-related uh, type parameters that can potentially have an impact 
to the application in the business. Those should be considered with probable cause analysis. And the way you configure them from a, an advanced threshold perspective needs to be considered at a technical level regarding situational awareness and whatnot. Okay, so some general recommendations and then we'll wrap up with a few tips. Um, definitely focus on the goals and the intended value. You know, your, 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 one of your key goals here is to reduce threshold management, not increase it. So don't go off into the GUI and start just, you know, tweaking all kinds of settings just because you can technically. Make sure that you have a reason to do it, okay? Also, you're, you're wanting to reduce event noise. So don't think of abnormalities as operational events. They're not. If you start thinking of abnormalities as operational events, then what you've really done just in your own mind is you've greatly increased the number of events that you have to manage from an operational perspective, and that is not the intent of the product at all. Okay. Um, also keep in mind that one of the key goals here is to reduce time to resolution. So you want to set the advanced thresholds appropriately for things like predictive alarms and leverage the signature thresholds and whatnot in order to, you know, to get the best bang for your buck out of the system without having to go in and configure a whole bunch of things and tweak and manage a whole bunch of things. Apply the threshold settings appropriately. This is really the, the overall key best practice for this whole topic. It's that whole situ situational awareness point. Apply the correct threshold types to the appropriate situation. And again, you know, we can, we can make recommendations and provide some standard settings out of the box, which we've done for things like the abnormality thresholds, but we can't, you know, tell every customer that, oh, CP utilization should be managed exactly like XYZ in these exact, exact settings for every application on every server. Um, you, you've got to think about, you know, what does CP utilization as an example mean in the context of the application and the servers that those applications run on. And if you're not certain, then get assistance from the technical teams. You know, nobody knows everything. Those of us who work in, in um, systems monitoring and, and management, we have a lot of things to take care of. I mean, just managing and implementing BBPM in a solution like BBPM um, is time consuming and so forth. And you can't possibly do that and also know all the intricacies and and so forth across all the different applications that you're monitoring and the network components and the databases and so forth. So leverage those teams for their knowledge. Um, you know, put together a spreadsheet on what you think the KPIs ought to be. Maybe start with what BPPM provides out of the box as KPIs. Send that to those teams. Ask them to review it. Ask them to add additional things and maybe take some things off the list, okay? And be more targeted and, and, and very intelligent about what you're going to configure and go through a methodical process to do that. Definitely don't over-configure. You know, just because you can go in and adjust the duration or adjust the percent from, devia percent from baseline deviation on a signature threshold doesn't mean that you should or need to go and, go and do that. Make sure that you have a reason to go do it and that your reasoning um, you know, has, has validity and makes sense from a technical perspective and whatnot. Uh, don't generally think of, treat, or handle abnormalities like you do operational events. And don't configure predictive alarms for all absolute thresholds, okay? There, there are scenarios where 
um, an absolute threshold doesn't even need to have a baseline on it. Okay. Uh, so think about data coming in that's non-patrol data. Maybe you've got data points coming in that you're trending from an external system that indicate a, a service is up or down, and you're actually trending that in BPPM. Okay, and that system maybe it doesn't that, that external system doesn't have a way of sending you quote quote unquote an event. It's just going to send you the data points that it collects over and over again. Uh, clearly, it doesn't make sense to baseline that because it's just an up-down type parameter. And that, that's a very simple example, but you may have some other examples where, uh, for example, um, maybe CPU or, or maybe something like disk utilization. Let's take that one. Maybe it just runs flat all the time on a particular file system. Maybe this file system doesn't get updated with data very often. Um, it just has files on it that people go and, and get from a read perspective and um, utilize for whatever. It's just a storage area. And you don't expect it to change, and over time it's just a flat line all the time. Okay, it, it, it's there's there's no fluctuation in the data, so it doesn't. There's no fluctuation in the data, then it doesn't make sense to, to set up baselines for it and try to trigger predictive alarms against it. it. Just makes no sense at all because there's no data there to leverage to generate a predictive alarm off of. So in a scenario like that, you would just have a static threshold configured in the absolute threshold area with predictive alarms. Um, turned off and no baselines evaluated. Okay, so some tips, some additional tips. Um, all baselines and absolute instance thresholds, right? So if, if you're turning all baselines on, which is the default setting for an absolute threshold, you might have a situation where the graph shows a threshold value that's actually different from the value that is set as the absolute threshold. And obviously that would be confusing, okay? So the answer to that, the answer to the confusion is, is that the threshold on the graph is actually set such that it takes baselines into consideration. It's looking at not only the static threshold that you set, but also the baselines that you may have told it to evaluate. And during every poll interval, all three baseline values and the absolute threshold value are checked or evaluated. And the highest or lowest value becomes the threshold at that point in time. Okay? So how all baselines are evaluated? Well, first of all, the high side of the baseline, the all baseline setting will, will choose the maximum of, of maximum out of the hourly, daily, and weekly baseline, okay? And the low is, it does it the same way as well. It's going it's to choose the minimum one that appears either out of the hourly, daily, and weekly baseline, okay? An example here, let's, let's take a condition example here. The absolute instance threshold value, okay, and that's the static value that you manually put in of response time was set to minor when um, the milliseconds for that threshold goes above 200. So 200 milliseconds is my threshold, my hard or static threshold. The all baselines option has been selected, which is the default setting. And we've collected some data over time and, and we've got baseline information. And, and according to that baseline information, the hourly high baseline is 240 milliseconds. And the daily baseline high is 230 milliseconds, and the weekly high is 210. Well, obviously, you know, these, are, these guys are all above the, the 200 that I set manually, okay? And then the immediate value of the response time 
is um, 200 milliseconds. And you would think, well, you know, I, I hit that threshold, so I should get an alarm. No, the actual result of this configuration is that no alarm is going to be generated because the parameter hasn't violated the highest threshold of 240 milliseconds that's associated with the high baseline. So when you tell it to look at all baselines, it's considering all baselines in addition to whatever the static or hard threshold is set at that you manually key enter. And the parameter value has to go above all of these values in order to actually generate the alarm. So be aware of that behavior. That's, that's intended by design. Um, and some folks have gotten a little confused about, you know, what shows up on the graph versus what they actually key entered here. Okay, so another tip here. I talked about the ability to set custom KPIs, meaning we provide, BMC provides out-of-the-box parameters, some of which are flagged as KPIs automatically for you, and then you may have some additional ones that you want to turn on as KPIs. And that's perfectly okay. You know, it doesn't mean to negate the previous conversation about turning on all non-KPIs for baselining. You would not want to do that. But it's perfectly fine to go through and pick and choose specific ones that we haven't flagged as a KPI that you think in, should be flagged as a KPI. And here's one that I think should be flagged as a KPI. This is the free megabytes that we looked at earlier on Windows Drive. Okay, so the application class or monitor type as we call it now um, is logical disk for a Windows operating system. And free megabytes is the parameter that I think should be flagged as a KPI. So I went in here and turned this guy on and made it a KPI. And the way you do that is very simply you just go into the um, admin console for the BPM server and choose tools. And then under tools, you'll have KPI administration. And you've got a pick list here with all these application classes where you can go in and flag this guy. Now, clearly, you need to remember one key thing here when you do this. And that is, actually, there's a couple of key things to remember. The first one you've got to remember is that you are setting a configuration on a single BPPM server here. This is not being populated into CMA, okay? You're setting it on one BPPM server. So in today's product, um, if you want, need to do this for multiple BPPM servers, you'll need to go to each BPPM server and, and do this. Now the good news is that, that we do set KPIs out of the box for you. So, um, you know, the disk percent busy here and free space, this free space is actually a percent, as you can see here. Those are already set as KPIs. So there's a lot of parameters. We've already set up as KPIs out of the box for you. And you can get that list um, of KPIs from our documentation on, on BMC's doc website. It's all available there. Um, so there's not a whole lot of parameters that you would necessarily need to come in and flag as a KPI here. So there, the point is there's not a whole lot of work that you might have to do in this area. This is one of them, and this is actually the only one that I can think of off the top of my head where I would typically go into a customer site and go ahead and turn this guy on, okay? So it's not like there's hundreds and hundreds of parameters that you've got to go do this for. Now, when you do this, again, be aware that you're only configuring it um, for the one BPPM server that you've connected to at this point in time through the admin console. So you've got to manually go do this for each BPPM server that, that you might want to set it up on. The other thing to be aware of is that um, it's not going to create a key 
icon in CMA. So making this change here in the um, admin console doesn't populate any data into CMA. CMA actually runs separately from the BPPM application servers. Okay, it's a, it's a separate component, so to speak, um, and, and it doesn't update that there. So there's a bit of a caveat here in that if you've gone in and flagged some additional KPIs, like I just showed you in the admin console, you're not going to get a, this key indicator icon showing up in the KPI column within CMA for those parameters. So you need to document what you've done. Okay? It's, and it's important that you document what you've done anyway. Um, however, although it doesn't show up in the um, CMA console from a configuration perspective, it will show up as a key parameter or a KPI in the operational console when you go to graph it, when you're, when you're looking at the different you know, parameters and so forth from an operational perspective. Okay. Um, again, I'm going to just kind of recap with this. Consider what the parameter means and the data it provides when you go in to configure these advanced threshold settings. Situational awareness is extremely important. And um, don't set a parameter as a KPI unless you are certain that it makes sense to set it as a KPI and you have specific reasons for configuring an advanced threshold, such as a predictive alarm or a signature alarm and so forth. And that's all I've got for this session. We very much appreciate you guys attending. Apologize for being a little late getting started. We had a bit of a hiccup getting uh, the presentation up onto the webinar session. Um, thank you again for attending these webinars. Hope we find that, that you guys find them uh, very useful. And Cedric, I'll turn it back over to you. All right. Thanks, Hudson. Uh, thank you, everyone, for attending as well. Uh, we will post the recording and the uh, PDF of the material uh, in uh, about a couple of days. So please look for that information on our BMZ community site. If you uh, don't know the site, you can simply search on the web for BPPM 9.5 webinars, and you should find the link fairly easily. Uh, again, this is really good content. It's not content meant that you will get it in one swoop. So we do encourage you to listen to the recording, uh, listen, uh, read through the materials, uh, or anything that will help. Thank you again, and uh, good luck with the rest of your day.